Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today from Dakar, Senegal, is Professor Rukhia Njai, who is head of the Human Genetics Department at the Sheikh Anta Diop University. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Amalia. I'm very pleased to be with you today. On this show, we are continually reminded about the importance of education as a driver to advance knowledge and bettering lives. When I was doing research on the show, I was really intrigued by your university, the the Sheikh Anta Diop University, for a number of reasons. Firstly, the massive student population, there's approximately 60,000 students. Really importantly, that Senegalese citizens can attend free of charge. And for me, free tertiary education means a stronger, informed society that can problem solve, that graduates start their careers without being burdened by student loans and are debt-free, and equal opportunity where people are not excluded from advancing themselves just because they can't afford to study. What are some of your views? Yes, you know, uh, Senegal is uh, one of the low-middle-income countries. And in most of these countries, high education is almost free of charge. Why? Because of um, the economic power of the citizen is not so high. So if you would like to encourage people to, to have higher education, you may need to assist them. So that's why in our country and in most West African countries, higher education is free of charge. So it means that what we need in these countries is to empower uh, young people to be able to participate in the economic development and also to be able to have high level of, uh, uh, of knowledge and training to be able to uh, to make things better and to, to have the country growing up. It really makes the, the cycle sustainable that you've got this throughput and people are contributing to society, they're contributing to the development of the country on economic and social levels. Yes, yes, they are contributing to the development of the society. If we look at the most of the the, the African the African president, and also most of the stakeholders uh, in the country have been trained in public university, and uh, this is a plus a plus value for the country to raise up. That was one of the other points which really struck me that the institution's alumni include presidents of Senegal, of Benin, of Mali, notable politicians, ambassadors, and more. How do you see the responsibilities of universities towards shaping the thinking of students as the country and also the continent's future socio-political economic players? Yes, you know, the, the university's role is to train in terms of each discipline, 
medical uh, disciplines or law, science. So uh, I think that the universities are the place where the young generation are shaped to become people that will be able to participate in the development of the country. So I think it is very important that the curricula that are developed in these universities have to be of high level. And it is also very important to give to these students very good uh, opportunities to show themselves and to learn. What about the role of education for women in particular? For women, actually, maybe in a uh, few years ago, women were not so involved in higher education. But this change dramatically now. And what we see in our university is that there is more women than, than men. And uh, when we talk about the success level, women are more successful than, than men. Particularly in our faculty of medicine, I'm a pharmacist. I'm teaching in the faculty of pharmacy and um, the faculty of medicine. But what we have actually is that the women are more successful. So your profession is pharmacy. You teach in the faculty. Universities are renowned for research and constantly driving ahead with new discoveries and innovations. Can you tell us about some of the significant collaborations or research projects that you and your teams have been working on to solve real-world problems in the field of, of genetics and disease? My basic training is pharmacy, but I have been specialized in human genetics. I'm actually teaching genetics at the faculty. You know, uh, the health in Africa is a very huge problem. Since uh, there is a lack of human resources, there is a lack of infrastructure, and there is a lack of uh, means to make it sustainable. And it is uh, very important for the government to support researchers trying to, uh, for example, uh, in the Faculty of Medicine, uh, since it has been established until 2014, uh, genetics was teached, but at a very low level. When I graduated in pharmacy and decided to, to, to be trained in human genetics, I had to learn by myself to be able to, uh, to have the basics of genetics before going to Paris, where I was expected to do my PhD. So it is important, actually, to build up young researcher team specialized in human genetics, because we know that human genetics is a future for health in Africa. And uh, by this way, I'm working um, on different topics. So the first one is cancer genetics. Uh, and particularly in breast cancer genetics. So we, have a, we had a project that started in 2010 about the genetics of breast cancer in Africa. 
uh, in Senegal. At that time, there was any reports about the genetics of breast cancer. And when, what we did, uh, we, we recruited patients in uh, collaboration with the oncologists at the different hospitals and tried to see what are the genetic variants of the main genes that are involved, BRCA1 and BRCA2. And uh, what we found was very surprising. We found that in half of the patients that have been recruited, there is one genetic variant of the BRCA1 that is associated with breast cancer in the family. And we also tested in the families uh, healthy young ladies to see if they, if they bear the, the variant. And what we see is that there, there are some with the variant. And this way, the fact that we need to settle genetic counseling for those young girls. Until now, it is difficult to make it happen. One question that I wanted to ask you, because you are specifically investigating Senegalese populations and looking at the genetic level and these genetic variances, is this unique to Senegal as a population on finding, for instance, this particular variant of the BRCA1 gene versus looking towards... uh, an American population or an, an Asian population? The variants that are associated with disease with a high level of frequency are called founder variants. This is not particular to Senegal. There is founder variants that have been uh, identified in other populations. But for this variant, it is specific to Senegal. And to Mauritania, because there was a, a, a report from Mauritania showing that this variant is also very frequent there. But screening of other countries uh, in West Africa, like um, Burkina Faso, uh, Mali, Nigeria, showed that this variant is not present there. It really emphasizes to me the, the different population groups are different and that you have to look at populations according to their genetics to derive the the right types of of treatments to be effective. I know that another of the projects that you've been involved with is the the SEN Genome Project. And to quote you, you said, the medicine of the future will depend on an understanding of the genetic heritage of each individual. The SEN Genome Project is the first of its kind in, in Francophonie Africa and aims to create a reference genome for Senegal, reflecting the genetic diversity of the population. The database will be used to establish personalized medicine in order to improve the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of the most common diseases. I think that's such an incredible statement. Can you tell us more about the SEN Genome Project and, and how it's progressing? Yes, the Sen Genome Project has been uh, set up in 2019. We start working on the project. And uh, why we start working on this project is that actually through, uh, through the world, we can say in most of the developed countries, personalized medicine 
is available. And we need to play our role in Africa and make it available for the African population. What has been uh, reported in Africa is that the genetic diversity of African population is very high and has not been investigated. So actually we don't know, for example, in Senegal, what is the genetic diversity of the Senegalese population? So this was the first aim of the Saint Genome Project, to study the genetic diversity of the Senegalese population in order to be able to set up personalized medicine. Because actually it is known that the, the medicine of the future is personalized. It means that your healthcare will take into account what is in your genome. And uh, in order to do that, you need to know how is structure the population and adapt with the specific treatment that are available. It is such an exciting field. Thank you. But the Saint Genome Project is actually um, finishing the first phase. The first phase is the participant recruitment. So the aim was to recruit 1,000 participants throughout the whole country. In Senegal, we have 14 geographic regions and uh, throughout 28 ethno-linguistic groups. So we have uh, accomplished almost 70% of the recruitment and uh, we expect to, to, to finish it uh, before end of May. And after that, the genetic study will be handled. Congratulations on the progress. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And we expect to have the, the, the reference genome of the Senegalese population by the end of 2023. The end of this year? Exactly, yeah. That's what we expect. And we hope we will be able to do it. That's fantastic. Do you feel, or are we at that point where we have been able to design individualized treatments for certain diseases according to a person's genetic makeup? Uh, yes, there is actually uh, some um, therapeutics that are available specific to a disease and specific to individual biomarkers. For example, in breast cancer, the, those patients who have mutation in the black genes and who are uh, called triple negative, who have triple negative tumors. Triple negative is that you don't have receptor for estrogen, progesterone, and the HER2 protein. So if you are triple negative and you have BRCA genes mutation, there is a specific treatment that is more uh, efficient and that may not be efficient for tumors that are not triple negative. So this is a spe specific treatment for a specific disease and for a specific individual. We're getting to the point of customizing and tailoring the right treatments for individuals. 
You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and we are talking to Professor Rukhia Ndjai, who is the head of the Human Genetics Department at the Sheikh Anta Diop University in Dakar, Senegal. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Prof Ndjai, the STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, have been cited as being pivotal for jobs of the future. But there are so many reports that indicate that women are behind and that we are underrepresented in these disciplines, which will obviously create a bigger gap and disadvantage women in terms of work and job opportunities in the new world. Do you think the environment in Senegal is supportive enough towards women in science? And are there any differences between how women are perceived today in comparison to a few years ago? Yes, I think that the environment in Senegal is very supportive for women in science. While the, the, the number, for example, if we take into account our university, the number of uh, women researchers is very, very low. We represent 20% in the whole faculty members. So it's very, very low. And uh, that needs to be increased. But uh, when we look at the level of support by the government to the young girls, particularly those that are in K-12, uh, we see that they are actually uh, doing some advocacy and awareness for them to choose STEM uh, in their studies. So I think that uh, there is a, a great things going on. And uh, in the future, we will have more women uh, that are involved in, uh, in scientific education. It starts at an early age when girls are in school, when they're starting to think about the future, because that's kind of the, the pipeline that draws them up into making the right types of choices. Yes, yes. I think that it, it needs to be to start earlier. Maybe at the elementary school, the government or the Ministry of Education has to, to revise the curricula uh, throughout the different levels and trying to, to, to put science in and to encourage the youngs to, to love science. Because uh, if, you don't love, if you don't love science, you cannot do science. So you need to love science. So they need to manage for these young people to, to love science and to, to do science. And it is an amazing field. In terms of gender equality, women struggle with a number of issues on being able to reduce gender inequalities. And every year, the World Economic Forum publishes uh, what they call the Global Gender Gap Report. And they go across four dimensions. One deals with economics, another on economic participation and opportunity, another on educational attainment, the third, health and survival, and the fourth on political empowerment. In the 2022 report, we are 
132 years away from achieving gender equality at a global level, which, which is shocking. In our continent, gender equality really touches sensitive points like culture, religion, and tradition. Do you think that it will be possible to overcome these points for the sake of women's development? I think that it's going to be very difficult at this time to, to, to close this gap. But I think that if, um, if support is available for women, they will be able to close this gap. Maybe not uh, after 132 years, but <laughs> very earlier. Uh, we know that the women are more engaged when they want to do something. Uh, they, they do have the, the, the same skills that, that men, and uh, they are more focused. So I think that uh, if support is available for, for them, they will be able to close this gap very soon. And another issue that women grapple with is the juggle between having a career and motherhood. How do you see this balance? <laughs> yes, this balance is very, very difficult to settle uh, in our context, particularly in, um, in Senegal. Uh, you know that in Senegal, years ago, the thinking was that women do not need to go to school. They just have to take care of the family. Uh, that's why being a scientific woman was a very difficult achievement. And uh, when you would like to be a scientific woman and also take care about your family, you have to, uh, to work more and you have to, to manage, to be a very good leader, leader in management. I remember when I was doing my, uh, my PhD, it was in France. Uh, I was alone with my husband and my, and my, my son. And I remember most, uh, some days I had to stay at the lab until night. So you see, uh, if you don't have somebody, uh, a husband who is uh, comprehensive, it's going to be very difficult. So uh, I think it is important uh, for women that, uh, that would like to, to have a scientific education to manage to have their family life, but also they have to manage to, uh, to, to, to make that balance. Mm. And like you say, it's having the right support structure. It's impossible at this point, you're in the genetics field, we're not cloning ourselves yet, to be able to do three things or two things at once. You cannot physically give 100% of yourself to all of those dimensions. Yes, yes, yes. You, that, that's what I, what I say, that you need to be a leader in management. You need high management skills. Because you have to do a lot of things at the same time. But if you manage your time, you will be able to do it. So uh, it is important to know what to do and when to do it, uh, to be able to pursue your, your goal that is uh, in the scientific education field. 
Given all of your experiences, in your opinion, what would be the one thing that you would change to ensure that women have a better future in the workplace? Uh, maybe the one thing I will promote uh, in the, let, let's say, in the medical sphere is to empower women at university to be able to pursue their career, scientific career in the, in the, at the right time to be able to achieve their goals. For example, to train other people that will be able to continue their work. And uh, I know that actually in, a, in, in our institution, for example, young uh, researchers do not have financial support for their activities. So you have to find out by your own uh, financial means to develop your own research. And, and this is particularly difficult for the women. So I think that the one thing I will change is to have or to build up some kind of grants that are uh, available for women that would like to do some research activities in the field of med medicine. And you know that in Senegal, we had this three to four years ago through our Ministry of Higher Education. They have uh, managed to have a fund that was called the PAPES. PAPES is a, uh, it's a, a kind of fellowship for women that are working at the university to develop their research activity. But it just lasts three years and after they stop it. So maybe it's, uh, it's um, uh, I, I will advocate for the, the Ministry of Higher Education to, 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 to bring back this uh, fellowship that may be very helpful for women to pursue their career in science. Resources, especially financial resources, are, are vital for research. And if you don't have that, you simply can't advance onto the next level. Our show, Womanity, Woman in Unity, is all about celebrating women's achievements. And at the same time, we acknowledge the progress. We also know that there are often still obstacles in place for women. Can you share some of the challenges that you encountered during your career and, and how you overcame them so that we can offer words of advice to women who are listening to us today that if they experience a similar situation, they've got some tools to help them? Yes, uh, the, the challenges, maybe I had during my career, uh, two challenges. The first one was to, uh, uh, to achieve my training in human genetics. It was not so easy because at the time, as I say, uh, genetics was not very much involved in our curricula. So the challenge was to, uh, to, to, to have that basic training and get it by myself. It was not easy, but I had a very good mentor at that time. It is Professor Alun Jay, uh, who was my, my trainer. 
So every day he, he asked, the, we have a plan in the week uh, to, uh, for me to present in the different chapters of my first human genetics book, that is Human Molecular Genetics by Strakhan. And uh, it's with that book that I learned basics of, of, of genetics in his office. And uh, when I applied uh, to uh, the, PhD, the, the master degree and the PhD at the, at the faculty, um, at the Institute of, Institute of Paris, it was easy to get it. That was a very high challenges, but because of my, uh, my mentor, I was able to achieve it. The other obstacle is about going through our research career at the university, because there's different level. When you arrive, you are an assistant professor. And the last level is to be a full professor. And most of the time you see in our university that women spend more time to, to, to go through that different level because they, they do not have uh, financial assistance to, to, to have their own research project. They do not have uh, time to be involved in research. So they are most doing lectures only. So I think that uh, through my own experience, uh, I have been um, accompanied by my, my colleagues and by my mentors, but uh, it was a really high challenges again. So I started my, I started my work at university in 2005 and uh, I became a full professor in 2020. So you see, 15 years to make it. Yeah, it was a really high challenge. You know, and this is the thing that I've encountered a lot with female academics that we've interviewed is that the journey is so much longer for women to get from the start through to their, their goal of, of being a professor. Whereas men don't seem to have the same uh, challenges as women do. And often people will say it's because they have a wife who takes care of the things that need to happen in the household, whereas most women don't have a wife who is attending to the household elements. And the other point is that women have been focused not necessarily on um let's say, the priorities that are going to get them through. So as you mentioned, research, in order to do good research, you need the finance. If you're not doing your research, you are going to be doing lectures, and lectures don't qualify in the same way that research does. So we, we have to contend with, with many, many things. Um, I wanted to ask you, if you could reflect for a moment on a couple of women from Senegal who've been important figures in driving gender equality. Uh, there is two, uh, two women in Senegal, uh, in, my, uh, in my point of view, uh, that have participated in, a, in a raising awareness about gender violence. 
the, the first one is uh, Fatou Sosa. She is a sociologist uh, working at the university. And she was the first uh, researcher, woman researcher, who set up a laboratory that is a gender laboratory in uh, the Institute, Fundamental Institute in Shahantegop University. And uh, this happened in 2004, and it was the start uh, for awareness, raising awareness for the government to uh, give support to women during their career. Uh, the other one is Amsatu Sol Sidibe. She is a professor of private law. And in 2006, uh, she um, she implement uh, reform, or it is a reform of the status of women employees in Senegal to give them the right to uh, offer social security to their husband if they are not working, and to their children too. And it was, I think, a very important challenge for women to get it. Now, if a woman is working, he can assist, she can assist her family with social, her social security. And it is something important in our country because you know that uh, most, in most of the couples, there is uh, most of the time only one is working. And it's of importance to, to have social security. Absolutely. And it also demonstrates that women are economically active and what they do contributes to the family. So it makes complete sense that the social security could be enjoyed by their children and their spouse equally. Prof. Njai, we are unfortunately coming towards the end of the show. So if I can please ask you to share a few words of inspiration or motivation that you'd like to pass on to young women in Africa who are listening to us. Uh, yes, maybe um, I will ask young girls and women uh, in Africa, and it's particularly in science, to know that they have to play a key role in African development. And actually, uh, uh, we know that Africa is in the step, in the, the step of being developed. And each of us have to play a role. And women particularly, because what we say, uh, women are, uh, they are mothers, but they are also leaders. And if you are a leader, you have to, 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 to maintain uh, a good quality of life and you have to maintain uh, your scientific career. So I think that we have, as women, we have to, to be uh, strong, we have to be, uh, discipline, we have to be uh, faithful, and we have to, to work hard to reach our girls. 
So I think we will participate in the development of Africa. Thank you for that wonderful message. It's been a pleasure to host you. It was my pleasure. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Rokhia Injai, who is head of the Human Genetics Department at the Sheikh Anta Diop University in Dakar, Senegal.